but we trust you. Um, we, we want to follow you. We ask that you would show us ways to minister to this family and to the community around us. Father, we lift up this class and this morning's worship to you. We ask that everything that happens from from song to study of your word to giving to fellowship, that it all be an act of worship to you and that it bring you glory. And uh, we ask that uh, your Holy Spirit, who we know is present, would, uh, would teach us, would change us, uh, would let us hear exactly what we need to hear today. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. So, Bob, were there, was there a follow-up <coughs> that people could give you the help meet some needs? Yes, there is a, uh, it's a, uh, there's a GoFundMe, um, and uh, that was posted on the Battleground Facebook page. There's a Facebook page for Battleground, if, you don't, if you're on Facebook and you didn't know that, I didn't know that. It's nice just to keep in touch with what's going on in Battleground, and, and that was posted by Vicki on that. If you wanted more information uh, on that, uh, that GoFundMe, it's not tax deductible or anything, it's just a gift for the family. And there has been, I think, $1,350 so far, a lot of it anonymously. Just That came because people on his Facebook page were saying, how can we help them? How can we, how can we give something? How can we help them with restaurant or, or costs or, or, or gas costs as they're shuttling back and forth between two hospitals and never at home looking after her family? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's yeah. Gonna, the Battleground School District is also going to be starting a, a, a sick leave donation. Uh, drive the, that, that, that I guess works district wide, so mm -hmm. other other teachers and so on can, can 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 donate sick leave time to Anna because even though she's out of the hospital, she's going to need to be staying home with Agatha for for a considerable time while while Agatha recovers and she can't go back to school yet. So yeah, is so. Agatha at home or is she Agatha Agatha's still in the hospital. She will be in the hospital for a while. She's still sedated. Randall's children's yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Still, said no, no visitors except um, now, now. Vitaly's sister is a registered nurse. She, she came from Baltimore, and she's staying in the room with Agatha, just right there. It's uh, awesome to have someone family who knows the stuff. Exactly, yes. exactly, and. Uh, and uh, it's been really hard for Vitaly because you know he's, he's it should, and I, I'm driving to the hospital on Wednesday night, and I'm thinking to myself, which hospital do I go to? You know, and um, so we split up, and, and uh, some went each each direction, of course. But that's but that's been Vitaly's poll as well, and and he knows that his daughter is completely sedated, and and she's in very good care. There's nothing he can do there, but he can comfort Anna, and he can be with Anna, and he can keep Anna company. So he's been spending most of the time there in the room with Anna, and uh, yet he hasn't been over to Randall and visited, of course, his his daughter as well. Tough 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 stuff to be in. And, and uh, they were just overwhelmed that people who didn't even know them in the community were, uh, would, would want to help them in some tangible way. So it's cool. Can I tell you a little, um, little bit about Agatha? She was in my uh, Awana group last year. And, uh, I would, and each uh, child is supposed to get through a book a year. And um, she was... She's really bright. She um, kept saying, oh yeah, I can do that, I can do but wouldn't until the end of the year. Just about the end of the year, she got going. I challenged her to 
a little toy, you know, if she could do a whole discovery or finish the discovery at first. And then she, every Thursday night, every Sunday, she wanted to do a whole discovery. And she did. She even, on the awards night, she finished her book. But through this process, she, I, I could tell that she really got what she was learning. And before she liked to sing the songs in during song time type of thing, she'd just, you know, play and be, you know, uh, long. But when she started buckling down in her book, and Trish Ganson was her study school last year, and she said the same thing, that she was looking at those words and she was really getting it in her heart and in her mind. It was so cool to, to be a part of that. So she's a special little girl. And then Anna was uh, my co-leader last year, too. So anyway, just a little bit in their lives. So we uh, want to continue to remember them throughout the week or encouraged to pray continually uh, so as part of your continual prayer remember them and the struggles that they're going through especially Agatha um, I since I ask Karen usually I say okay so pick a psalm and then I overwrite her last moment this morning, <laughs> this morning I suggested a psalm Psalm 107 but it's a very long psalm and I'm going to let Karen override me she decided that that's not okay. So, uh, so Psalm 107. Did you want to read it, or did you want to suggest a different one? Give thanks to the Lord for He is good; His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south, some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way where finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness in the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains. For they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he breaks down gates of bronze and he cuts through bars of iron. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. 
Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Others went out on the sea in ships, and they were merchants in the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest. They lifted high the waves. They, they mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who live there. He turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live, and they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that it yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them, and their numbers greatly increased, and he did not let their herds diminish. Then their numbers decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in attractive waste, but he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Whoever is wise, let him heed these things and consider the great love of the Lord. Consider the great love of the Lord. Um, the reason I, I suggested this psalm this morning is uh, the very thing that we're, we're sharing about uh, troubles within our church body and the challenges that people face, um, different losses that uh, people confront in their lives, and uh, in the case of uh, tragic accidents that uh, come without announcement. Um, and we have lots of troubles, and the, the statement that's repeated um, is, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. And talks about that He gathered from the lands from the east, the west, the north, and the south. That means that God goes far. He's not just um, focusing on a chosen few. He loves everyone and has given everything such that everyone can have uh, a life in communion with him. And so that's, uh, I just thought it was uh, an important psalm, even though it's long, and sometimes we we get bogged down in the length of psalms. Uh, the refrain is just uh, so amazing. Let, let him give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and his kesed. That's who he is. So today we're, uh, we're, taking on a new chapter in John, and I promise we'll get finished before Thanksgiving. Uh, the chapter. The chapter. The chapter. I'm not promising. Um, so we're in chapter six, and I would uh, um, I'd ask, what, what is John about? I give you a hint. The main thesis of John is in 2031. I told you I'd read it every week. As we look at John 2031, uh, John writes, There are many other signs that Jesus also performed in the presence 
of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So a lot could be said. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So John is writing very purposefully, uh, not just uh, creating uh, a chronology of events, but actually carefully relating specific events to help us know who the Christ is. That the Christ, the Messiah, is Jesus. That he's the Son of God, and that in him is life. And so he wants us to know who Christ is. He wants us to believe. And he wants us to understand what that belief means. It means more than just an intellectual assent. It should actually cause a transformation in our lives. And that the end result of that is a communion with him. And the word is, is often translated uh, abide or remain or to dwell. And that it's talking about uh, an intimate communion. And that as we look at the discipleship aspect of the book of John, we want to understand that the purpose um, there is for us to draw near. And that ultimately we'll draw near face to face with Christ. And he'll be the light of the city that we dwell in, uh, which is his city, right? We talk about the heavenly city, what heaven is about, um, and that communion with God. That's that's the ultimate uh, in abiding, but there is an aspect of that that we can apply in our lives today. So we want to keep that in mind. When we look at John, I gave you the divisions of John and that there's a both a, a public and a private ministry. We won't talk much about the prologue or the epilogue today. And we're in the, the uh, public ministry book of John, which part of the book of John, which is about helping people to know that he is the Christ, the Son of God and what that actually means. And in the course of doing that, Jesus is going to challenge just about everything that they were holding on to, because they were holding on to a lot of false beliefs. So he was challenging their beliefs such that they could have a correct belief. And we looked at that in the first uh, couple of chapters uh, as we went through that he challenged the institutions of Judaism. So John is a, is a Jewish uh, fisherman. He has that tradition and that history um, and he understood uh, Judaism and Christianity. Right? So Christianity as Christ uh, ascended into heaven and left the church in this world to be the, uh, the beachfront uh, for God's kingdom in this world as God's kingdom would come in this world as it is in heaven. The church is that that uh, that spearhead, that beachfront of God's work in the world, and the church is broad. It's not just uh, a name like we're Brushbury Baptist, but it's uh, a worldwide community, and that that intimacy and relationship, that communion, is not just vertical with Christ, but it's horizontal with each other, and that we have that responsibility. And so John's writing from two unique perspectives. One, understanding <clears throat> Judaism and how they struggled with coming to know Christ. And then he also understood the early church and some of the pitfalls that were there in the early church that they needed to pay attention to. And so <clears throat> we understand that from a Jewish perspective, he was uh, recognizing that Jesus' ministry 
prior to uh, accomplishing the mission of death for our sins and resurrection um, for our uh, for our life, our new life, uh, that he was helping to challenge all of the things that the Jewish people who were chosen by God held dear. So he challenged, Jesus did, the institutions that made up Judaism. And we see that he first took on uh, the institution of, of uh, purification, right? What that meant. And the whole concept of uh, joy in the wedding ceremony. And we see that uh, played out in the miracle that was done at Cana, a sign is intended to point us to Christ. So it was pointing us to something about uh, the Christ, his nature and who he is. He also took on the temple, the place where we actually come into communion with God um, is in his temple. And we understand that the sacrifice um, that was made on the in the Holy of Holies was both something that Judaism practiced, but it was also something that Christ accomplished. And we understand that now we are the temple. Right? And we read that in 1 Corinthians. Don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So uh, Jesus took on that whole institution of what it meant in the temple and what the Jews believed. He took on the whole of the rabbinical teaching. When he met with Nicodemus, he said, you're a teacher, you should know these things. Right? And he helped um, clarify for an honest teacher what... God, who God truly is and what he was about doing, the work of redemption. And then we see he took on the institution of tradition, that when he spoke to the woman at the well, he challenged the traditions uh, of religious men and worship. And he said, you know, what real worship is about is this worshiping, it's a communion with God where you worship in spirit and in truth. And so he was challenging those institutions. When we got to chapter 5, we see that he was now turning to not just the institutions of Judaism, but the specific festivals, because these festivals were really important in the religious life of the Jews. So in chapter 5, he took on um, the Sabbath, right? And a lot of people wouldn't think of the Sabbath as a festival, but it was uh, set up... Uh, for God's purpose as a way that we would enter into his rest. And his rest didn't mean a cessation of activity, but rather uh, a sustaining of the life that he had brought into creation. And that we participate in that with God in uh, what was the Sabbath. And that we draw near to him. And that it wasn't supposed to be a bunch of regulations. Right? And so Jesus gives a whole clarification about how, uh, what the Sabbath is about and what the sun is about and what the sun is about doing um, and how working on the Sabbath was not against what God was trying to accomplish. And so he, in fact, um, our eternal life depends upon God sustaining his creation on that seventh day. And so Jesus helps clarify um, both, one, helping understand who the Son is, the nature of life in the Son, and how that isn't hindered by uh, a particular festival or uh, aspect of religious life, which we call the Sabbath. And he actually turned that as he defended himself 
It's a very um, legal type argument that you see developed here and that uh, an accusation is made, two accusations are made. One, that Jesus violated uh, a religious law that he healed on the Sabbath and two, that he called himself God's son. In other words, he put himself in the place of deity, which was blasphemy. So two accusations were made. He gives a defense. So he answers the accusation. And then he presents the evidence. He gave five evidences that supported his defense. And so we would call that the warrant. And the warrant he provided was his own testimony, the testimony of John the Baptist, the testimony of the work that he was doing. The work itself testified that he was indeed the Son of God and had life in himself and that judgment was assigned to him. Uh, he had the witness of the Father. Right? And finally he had the witness of Scripture. So five concrete evidences or warrants were given to support Jesus' argument. And all of this is about challenging um, what the purpose of religion is. So when we see him challenging these festivals, he's challenging what religion is about. Because it's really easy to become religious. But in many ways, it's really hard to stay true to God. We have a wandering heart. And God knows that. And even though he saves us by incredible miracles, we still wander. Prone to wander. So the next is, uh, festival that he's going to take on is the festival of Passover. And that's what he does in chapter 6. And I'm going to do something that I usually don't do. I'm going to read through the whole of chapter 6. So we can say we actually finished chapter 6. <laughs> 71 verses because it's, it's a, a, single, um, a single point that John wants to make. And we're going to see that it's broken up into three parts. There is a... Uh, and it's all in the context of understanding Passover as a festival, right? So we're going to see um, a feeding of 5,000. And then we're going to see a miracle of Jesus walking on water. And this is two different audiences for these signs. One audience is an unbelieving nation. The other audience is a believing few. Those that hold true that Jesus is Messiah, and you get a different response from the two. But both don't understand it. So the third part of John is a theology lesson, John chapter 6. And that he's going to explain the meaning of it since they don't understand. So let's go ahead and read through chapter 6. It says, After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. Sometimes it's called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd followed him, because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, that is Philip that he himself knew, Jesus knew, what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. 
One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise, also of the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when the evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. Then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The next day the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except the one, and that Jesus had not entered with the disciples into the boat, and that the disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias, near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore, they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What then, uh, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have not come down from heaven, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, 
and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, And they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then, if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe, and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you, that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew, and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you not want to go away also? Do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So we have believed, and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he was one of the twelve who was going to betray him. Long a lot chapter. of meat in that chapter. Pardon? A lot of meat in that chapter. A lot of meat in that chapter. That's why I say we'll finish before Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, a lot of meat in that chapter. So, you know, as we look at any uh, piece of, of narrative literature, we want to understand the elements of that narrative literature. And so we want to look at characters and we want to look at setting and all of that. Um, so I'll give you a picture of the world as it existed in that day and still does today pretty much. So you have the area which is um, Israel, which actually goes from 
today goes from about here down through about here. And you have a couple of areas here that are important. Today, Gaza is down here on the coast. Um, this is called the West Bank area right in here, uh, which Gaza is part of that whole movement for the Palestinians. But in this day, um, the, the area of Israel was broken up into a couple of parts because when Herod the Great, who was a great builder and was uh, proclaimed himself the king of the Jews, when he died, he broke up his rule among his sons. And uh, one of his sons, Herod Antipas, um, actually was uh, the proclaimed king or ruler um, in this area here. But when it got up to Galilee, if you looked at this area here, this area was called the area of Philip, back up in here. And so if you look at this account of the feeding of the 5,000, this is one of the few accounts that actually occurs in all four Gospels. And when you look at it in the other Gospels, it gives you some additional information so you can kind of reconstruct what, what was actually going on at the time. And so what was going on at the time was that John the Baptist had been taken by Herod Antipas because uh, he was offended because John the Baptist told him he was a sinner. He had taken his brother's wife as his own and that that was not, not appropriate. It wasn't just not appropriate, it was, it was sinful. And so uh, Herod took him prisoner and had him locked up. And if you read the story in the other Gospels, what happened is, is that um, the daughter of one of Herod's wives uh, came and danced for him, and he was really impressed. He said, I'll give you anything you ask for. She said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And so John the Baptist was beheaded. And, um, and that was then presented to Herod. So those that were followers of John the Baptist and followers of Jesus um, took that pretty serious. That meant that um, their head was on the line, right? Because if their leader could be decapitated, then certainly they could be decapitated. And this is an important lesson, which we'll get into a little bit later. But what happened was is it caused Jesus... Um, and you recall in the previous chapter 5, he was down in this region. He had come back into this region, uh, into Galilee, because that's where this uh, takes place, the Galilee region. And they took off to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So this is the Dead Sea. Jerusalem's right about here. Um, this area is called Galilee. And this is the Sea of Galilee. And that's what I'm going to focus in on, because that's where our story takes place. And you'll see the Sea of Galilee here is kind of a, a heart-shaped harp, a musical instrument, shaped uh, body of water. And that's how it actually got its name, uh, Chinnereth, which is, has to do with the, the musical instrument harp. And you'll notice that there's a city here, and this was a city that was established by Herod Antipas called Tiberias. And he uh, established that city as uh, to pay tribute to the Roman uh, emperor, uh, and so he was, he was doing his uh, good old boy kissing up type of a thing, and at the same time, he was executing his authority in this region. And so the classic uh, spot that from history that has been identified for where this feeding took place is just on the other side of Tiberias here, in this plain, which is called Gennesaret. 
And I'll blow it up a little bit, but I'm going to tell you that's not where it actually took place. So how, how wide is the Sea of Galilee? Pardon? How wide is the Sea of Galilee? The Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles lengthwise and about uh, 6 miles at its widest spot, which is right, right through here. And uh, based on 4th century uh, monks trying to establish where this actually took place, they thought that it took place um, right in here. So this is uh, a, a little plain area here, and that this is probably the hill where he had taken retreat to, and um, that people came to him there. So they were coming from Capernaum, they were coming from Tiberias, they were coming from the Decapolis region over here uh, to that area, and that's where this miracle would have taken place. So today, you can go to that area, and they have this nice... Um, monastery, uh, Byzantine era, um, which has been rebuilt with a mosaic that shows the five loaves and the, and the two fish on the floor. And, and that's traditionally where they think this occurred. But if you actually read the accounts, you'll find out that what happened is they were on the run from John the Baptist. So it actually says in Luke that they went over to Bethsaida. Is that in focus? I can't see. I don't have my glasses on. See if I can get this in a little bit closer for you. Is that better? Good. So Bethsaida is the area where uh, Peter and John and Andrew uh, were from, and and uh, James. And that this was a fishing village right here. Uh, and so this is on the east side of the Jordan River. Comes down through here and it dumps into the Sea of Galilee. And this was actually fishing communities along in here. So small little communities built up around a fishing industry, and that there were some really cool places to catch fish. There were some here near where the fresh water comes into the Sea of Galilee, so that's why there's fishing village here. There was a, a village here that was established as on the road of commerce, so the north-south road that goes through that region would go through Capernaum, so that's where Matthew set up his tax collecting booth. So if you want to, you know, uh, get the money as it's coming in, that's where you would go. So, so this is an area rich in tradition that we, we read about. Over here, we don't read about this area too much, although there's this area that they call Seven Springs, which is what Gennesaret means, and uh, or it, it, the, the common name of it, not Gennesaret doesn't mean that, but the common name does mean Seven Springs. And this, So this was a good fishing area. And so they would fish off this area. So a lot of people said, well, he must have come from Gennesaret, but he didn't. It actually says that he went over to Philip's territory at Bethsaida, and that's where he was hanging out. And there's, uh, right here is an area where it's very grassy uh, slope coming down off a high plateau. And this is probably where they were hanging out, teaching. And when he would retreat to the high country, he would either retreat north into these basalt formations up here, or he would come uh, further uh, to the east into the plateau area, what's now called the Golan Heights. And so that was a, an easily retreat area where there was uh, uh, villages not too far away so that you could kind of hang out and you, would, you weren't totally roughing it. Um, and so what happened is, is that the uh, disciples retreated to this area and Jesus was teaching and people were coming to him. So they were coming to him from Tiberias, they were coming to him from the Decapolis, they were coming to him from Capernaum, 
And we understand that this is uh, most likely where it occurred because if you read the account as we read through here, um, there's the miracle itself, but then uh, Jesus actually walks on the water, right? So there's this incident where his disciples take off to go to the other side of the lake, and they're headed to Capernaum. And you say, well, that's not a very far away, right, from Capernaum, from Bethsaida. Well, what would happen is the winds from the Mediterranean come through, and there's like uh, these two peaks right here are very sharp peaks, and right here is a very sharp peak, and that kind of channels the wind right down through this area. And the wind comes across the lake, and it can become incredibly fierce, and it can happen in an instant. It's just these storms rise up, and they're life-threatening storms. So if you're a fisherman out here on this water, and that storm rises up, you're going into the wind, which is what it says was happening, and it's life-threatening. And so the story is, is that Jesus um, joins his disciples by walking on the water as they're trying to get to Capernaum. And it says that while he joins them, they instantly arrive on the other side. And if you read the other accounts, it says they arrive in this plain of Gennesaret. So it's not, as tradition would tell you, it's not that way, it's actually the reverse. They started here and went that direction. So that's the geography and kind of the backdrop to what's happening. You have John the Baptist uh, being beheaded. You have... Uh, several miracles that Jesus has done of healing that um, caused people to come to him. And he ends up in Capernaum with his uh, disciples teaching in a synagogue. And the, so that's the, the three scenes are. The scene is, scene one is feeding the 5,000. Scene two is crossing over. Scene three is the theology lesson there in Capernaum. So that's the setting that we see uh, happening here. And, and that's what we read. That they were on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd followed him because of the signs. Uh, he went up on a mountain there and sat down. And then he fed people. Right? So Philip, you, you remember who Philip was? So in the original uh, calling of, of Jesus' disciples we read about in chapter 1, Philip was one of those, so the first that came to him was John and Andrew, and then Andrew went and got Peter, and then Peter came, and then Jesus ran into Philip, and then he ran into Nathaniel, right? So Philip is, that's that Philip that he ran into, which was a man that was a fisherman from Bethsaida. Philip was from this town, um, so he knew the area, and uh, you don't read a whole lot about Philip except for in John. So Philip was one of these guys that he was pretty, uh, uh, I don't want to use the word plain because nobody is plain, but he was pretty uh, black and white in his understanding of reality. So Jesus needed to help him see a larger spiritual truth of what was going on. And of course that's what he wants to do uh, in challenging this institution of Passover. He wants us to see a larger spiritual truth. And so he starts with Philip and he says, hey, where can we get some food? Because Philip's from the area. And Philip says, man, it would take eight months' wages. And that would only give people a bite. They wouldn't even get a meal. And it says then 
that uh, Andrew, again, one of those that were the first to come to Jesus, uh, heard this, said, well, here's, here's a little, little kid, and he has five barley loaves and two fish. But what can we do with that? Right, so thinking very pragmatically, he said, it's not that there's no food. It's just that this food that is present is insufficient. And five barley loaves. Barley um, grain was a grain of those that were um, of a lower income strata. So it was uh, the food of the poor. And to make a, uh, a meal, to have anything of substance that could sustain you, took about three barley loaves. So here's five barley loaves given to a kid. So basically it's his lunch and an afternoon snack. And that's what's presented to Jesus. And Jesus says, well, have everybody sit down. And it says that there were 5,000 men. So you all have heard the story. 5,000 men means that there was a whole lot more people because there were women and children and others that were brought. Uh, it wasn't just the men who were taken on the day off and coming to hear Jesus uh, teach. The, the whole communities, I mean, it was a big deal when this guy who was doing uh, supernatural events, he was doing signs that revealed uh, the work of God, and he's in your community, you show up. It's kind of like, um, and, and this isn't really a good example, but, you know, when Billy Graham was doing his crusades, when he came to town, a lot of people went to the crusades just because it was Billy Graham. Not because they had any interest in hearing what he said, but it's like, hey, this is, this is a big dude, right? He's a man of God. So they, they went to see this one who was uh, maybe a prophet, maybe a good teacher, and they show up, and there's 5,000 men at least, and Jesus then gives thanks, and it says, this is one of the few accounts where it says he distributed. So Jesus was the one that actually did the distribution in John's account. Now, practically, it probably involved all of them. We see that there were 12 baskets that were taken up. There were 12, uh, 12 of the disciples that were the inner circle, right? So probably all were involved. But Jesus had hands-on. It wasn't like he sat back and just directed what was going on. He was in with the people, helping to feed them. And it goes on uh, to say that they filled up 12 baskets of the bar five barley loaves. So here you have five little barley loaves. And a barley loaf is not like a loaf like we would think about. So if you go to Starbucks today um, and you get a, one of their coffee cakes, it's a little tiny loaf thing. In a little loaf. They cook them in loaf pan. and It looks like our Western-style bread of loaf, right? Loaf of bread. Um, their idea of loaf of bread is more like a pita, right? So you have these five little you know, flatbreads um, made of barley grain um, and... One of, you know, five of those would not cover hardly the bottom of a basket, let alone fill the 12 baskets. So everybody, when they saw this happen, I mean, it just happened right in front of their eyes. It's like, wow, this is a miracle. This is supernatural. It's not possible for five pita breads to become 12 baskets full of scrap. Because he would tear that bread and he would hand it out. He'd tear that bread and he'd hand it out. And he's doing that and it multiplied itself. And so the people see this and they upgraded their opinion of him. They said, this guy is the prophet. Who is the prophet? Does anybody remember? 
Moses spoke about, there's a prophet. The Lord will send a prophet yeah. like me, and he will come. Yep, and he'll, and he'll be one of your own, yep. and that uh, we're supposed to pay attention to him, right? Listen to him. So uh, before the concept of, a my, uh, of Messiah had emerged, the concept of, of the prophet was there. It's recorded in Deuteronomy 18. The prophet. The prophet. So if you look at it in a, in a uh, ESV or a, uh, NASB or King James, it'll actually be capitalized. It's like a proper name. This is the prophet. This is the Messiah who is to come into the world. So they upgraded their opinion of who Jesus was based on this miracle. And it says that Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. So what did the people see? What is it that they perceived? Pardon? They perceived a miracle. They, they associated the miracle with the prophet. What was, um, what was it that the people felt that they needed at the time? They, they thought they needed food. So these were lower class people. They were struggling um, to feed themselves. They were oppressed by a foreign government. Because you've got to remember, this is a time where the original uh, setting aside of God's people, the, the Hebrew nation, which occurred um, where, and then we had the administration of the judges and then the kings, the king's time had ended. Right? The last king, Josiah, not the last king, uh, Jehoiachin, was taken captive and he ended up dying in Babylon. We understand that some of his descendants were some of those that came and, and went back and resettled the land, but they never had a, a king from that point forward. And when Herod declared himself king, he was doing something that hadn't been done in a long time. But he wasn't the true king. There was not a king of the line of David or a king from the northern kingdom that remained beyond Babylon. Right? So these were a conquered people. And you've heard me tell the story about when I was in Russia and I was... Uh, on a, a train from Moscow to St. Petersburg, and I was traveling in the, the third class uh, because that's all we could afford. We were poor folk. And so we were riding with all the other poor folk, and the Westerners, are, they're just going totally nuts because it was hot, stiflingly hot in this train. The windows didn't open. The doors were broken. Um, and so they, the Western folks were just going crazy, the team that I was with. They were building air funnels to bring air from the outside as the train's running into the cab to kind of cool it off. They were doing all sorts of stuff, and the Russian people were just sitting there very stoically. <laughs> and uh, so I'm sitting there talking to one of the Russian guys. I said, so what do you think of these crazy Americans? And he said, well, in America, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. But in Russia, the nail stand that stands out gets the hammer. Right, so you've heard me tell that story. I know it's not a new story, but that's what happens when you have a history of being oppressed people. That you're looking for someone else to be that, to be a new hammer, to hammer your oppressor, and that's what they expected of Messiah. So they wanted to make him king, 
They wanted to make him a Burger King, one who could feed them. I just surprised Bob. They wanted, they wanted a king that could feed them and a king that could stand up. And so they were going to take him by force and make him king. But Jesus said, no, 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 you guys got it all wrong. So he took off. Right? He went to the high country, went up the hill, essentially, to spend time by himself. And he told his disciples, now, I want you guys to get out of here too, because if they want to take me, they're going to take you too, because you're in a special company. So he sent them across the Sea of Galilee. So they had been instructed to do the crossing, which we're going to read about next. And Jesus has gone to the high country, and I just got the signal. <laughs> and there it is. There's the lap. So I know that I'm here. <laughs> So, it's really easy to tell the story, what it is these people saw, and what it is that they thought that they wanted, right? Jesus has a completely different agenda. He's not trying to um, recreate the manna in the desert as part of that Exodus and Passover story. And, I, and I'll give you a, a hint looking forward. He's not trying to recreate that miracle of going through the waters. There's a different agenda that Jesus is trying to help them understand what the real meaning of this is. And they're still not going to get it at the end. But that's okay. He's not offended. God is not offended because we don't get him. He just keeps trying. So let's, uh, let's take this as a point where we'll, we'll stop for this week. And um, as Mitch said, there's lots, lots of meat in here. So we're, it's going to take a while to get through it. Um, but I thought it would be good to get through the major part of the story this morning. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, um, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come into your presence, to lift to you our needs, and that those needs are real needs. They're needs for provision, their needs for comfort, their needs for healing. Um, Lord, we are in this world which is messed up. It's a troubled world. And as we read about in the psalm, we're encouraged to reflect on your loving kindness, your character, and reflect on what you're um, doing for us now and what you have done in your son, that you have completed our um, redemption, and that as we draw near to you, we actually embrace your eternal life. And Lord, uh, help us to do that. Help us to um, wrestle with the real issues in the scripture here. Help us to apply that in our lives and have it make a difference such that we truly believe and that we abide with you, Lord, both now and forever. Lord, uh, we lift to you those that are hurting in our congregation as we prayed earlier. Um, Lord, I especially want to lift you Sharon this morning and just the challenges that she's going through with uh, life changes and just ask that you pour out an incredible blessing upon her. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity that we can come into your presence, that you provide for us, you protect us, and you serve us. And we ask for that this next week. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all this. In your name we pray. Amen.